Amen. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5 in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 5. Thank you for your singing today. We'll talk about that here in a few moments from the scripture on why we even sing together. And it's easy to preach that to a congregation who just sang praises of truth uh, to the Lord. Uh, Brent is in Arizona today. He is speaking at the family uh, retreat at Grandview Camp. And he texted the elders and said, let's line up a schedule to fill in for me at UBC the rest of the year. I'm staying in Arizona. (laughs) So we'll see if we can figure that out. I know they'll be here uh, just in a couple of days, uh, but are enjoying their their short trip. Colette uh, was able to go with him uh, on that trip. Ephesians chapter 5. When I preached the last time, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4. That was several weeks or a month or two ago. And we looked at an overview of what Ephesians is all about. And we'll review that in just a moment. But where we will focus our attention is in the middle of chapter 5 of Ephesians on the Christian walk. And if you have read the Bible in the New Testament, you may have come across this idea of the Christian walk. The way you're supposed to walk. And if you've been around the church, you might hear people talk about Walking with the Lord or living the Christian walk, what does that mean? And it simply means our lifestyle, how we live in response to what God has done in transforming our hearts. So the Christian walk is simply how a believer is to live in a relationship with God. And Ephesians talks a good bit about that. There's actually several uh, big ideas in Ephesians. We won't cover all of them today, but let me situate us. In this incredible uh, theological letter that's very practical as well. Some big ideas in Ephesians, if we were going to study the whole thing. uh, We learned that God's plan of redemption is central to what the Apostle Paul is writing about in Ephesians. And ultimately, it's for His glory. If you read Ephesians chapter 1, you understand why we're even saved. We've been chosen in Him before the foundation of the world, all to the praise of His Glory. It's why we're gathered here this morning, is to the praise of His glory. He's redeemed us. God has not just redeemed individuals. God has redeemed a whole church, unified around the world, meeting together in local bodies of believers. All around the globe, even this morning, God has united believers in one body, the church. And because of God's love for this body, the church... Believers should love one another. The word love is used 20 times or more in the book of Ephesians. We could talk about walking in love. But what we'll speak about today is this fourth uh, theme, if you will, of the book of Ephesians. We'll get a little bit into that fifth one, that God, not Satan, rules over all. um, The armor of God and spiritual warfare in in chapter 6. But this is a central theme of of Ephesians. Believers' faith is revealed in their walk. And the order of that is very important because Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that we are not saved by our works. We don't come into a relationship with God because we are worthy, because of our performance of worship or good works. We are saved unto good works, the ones He has ordained for believers. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 But once we are saved, we are no longer the same. And the faith that we profess with our mouth, the faith that we have in our hearts, is necessarily demonstrated 
in our life. And believers' faith is revealed in their walk. And chapter 5 of Ephesians speaks about this very specifically. And this is some of the things in chapter 5, if we were going to cover the whole chapter that we would look at. But in the beginning, Ephesians 5, if, you want, if you're in a print Bible, uh, you can look back up to the beginning of chapter 5. If you're on your phone, which I often do, you can just scroll back up to the beginning of chapter 5. By the way, uh, page 978 in the Pew Bible in front of you, if you'd like to follow along with our uh, sermon today. Ephesians 5, uh, verse 2, walk in love. So the believer's faith is revealed in their walk, and we spoke about that in just a moment ago, walk in love. Walk in purity. Sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among the saints. So believers' faith is revealed in their walk, and that's a pure walk. A walk of pure action and a walk of pure words. We're to walk in the light. A few verses later in Ephesians 5 says that we have been awakened from our sin to walk in, in the light, similar to what Paul talks about, walking in the newness of life, the light of Christ, the light of righteousness. But what we'll look at today, and this is just all to situate us where we're going to be, is in these two ideas in the middle of chapter 5 of Ephesians, to walk in wisdom and do that by walking in, or to use the specific language in Ephesians 5, being filled with The Spirit. I say walk in because I think those are parallel ideas. In Galatians, walking in the Spirit. In Ephesians, being filled with the Spirit. Uh, You could actually talk similarly about those two concepts in Scripture. And it looks better on the screen to have walk, walk, walk all the way down. So that's why I put it there. But walk in the Spirit. No, be filled in the Spirit. And this is a, a very important concept. If this is something you're very familiar with, let this be a good review. But for all believers, this idea of being filled with the Spirit is very important for us to understand in order to live a life daily walking with the Lord. As members of the church, how do we praise God? We said that we were redeemed for His glory. We do that by enjoying His spiritual blessings in Christ with a new walk. It's unlike our former lifestyle. And where we find ourselves in Ephesians 5 begins to give specifics to this truth. This is for believers today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you are someone seeking to know more about God and His Word, but you've not yet committed your life to Him, then let this be an accurate understanding from Scripture of what, what it would look like to begin walking with the Lord, to begin a journey of becoming like Christ by starting a relationship with Him through repentance and faith in the gospel. And the points that Paul makes here in Ephesians 5 are very practical for us today. But if you have time, go back and read chapters 1, 2, and 3 for the rich theological heritage and foundation uh, that they are built upon. Believer's faith is revealed in our walk. What we believe will be demonstrated by our lifestyle. In the beginning of this chapter, um, like I said, walk in love, walk in purity, But verse 15 is where our text will begin today. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15, the two great admonitions of this passage are to walk in wisdom and do that by walking in or being filled with the Spirit. Would you read silently as I read from Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15? 
Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, would you use your scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we meet today. It's in his name we come before you asking for your guidance, for your insight. For believers here today, would you, through your Holy Spirit indwelling them, remind us of truth, enlighten us of new truth from your scripture, and draw us to a closer walk with Christ. For those who are here today who do not yet know Jesus, would you make clear to them your offer of love and forgiveness and salvation, and may today be the day of their salvation. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Before we begin, let me remind you of what Tim said, using the Connect card to communicate with us as a church. And so throughout the service today, if there's something the Lord is doing through the sermon or through the scriptures, through the fellowship, uh, would you indicate that on the card and say, pray for me, or there's a way for you to respond uh, on that card. You can do that anytime throughout the service today, and I encourage you to drop that in the Connect box uh, as you leave today, because we would love to know and encourage you in what God is doing. First of all, what we're learning from Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17 is to walk in wisdom. And we could, if we were looking at wisdom, you may not think of Ephesians as the first book to look for that. It's spoken of very uh, often in Proverbs. We sometimes think of the book of James, which we're studying on Wednesday nights, as, as kind of a, a wise, practical book. But here it says in verse 15, Look carefully, believers. Then, then just means based on this new life that you have, if you were to read verses 13 and 14. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. We as believers are to be actively seeking to live careful lives. In other words, pay attention. Be attentive to the way you are living. I find this interesting because the Christian life is a life of great freedom. Great freedom from the bondage of sin. Great freedom to live your life for Christ. To enjoy God's wonderful blessings and His creation. For more on that, read Ecclesiastes, where it tells us to have a blast while we last on this earth. And enjoy what God has done in giving us the simple pleasures of this life. But the Christian life is also, through that, meant to be lived very carefully. In the sense that we should want to know what God has for us to do moment by moment and how he desires us to live our lives. The end of verse 15 clarifies that this for us, not as unwise, but as wise. To live carefully means to live in wisdom. 
Wisdom here means insight or perception. So I want us to think of the word perception from verse 15. Perceiving what God wants us to do every moment. Insight into what is truly good and real. What is true about God? What is true about His plan for me? This is idea is a simple contrast to those who don't follow Christ. Because they are living not for what is in God's mind, not to perceive that, but living in obedience to whatever the desires of their own mind and heart say. And very simply, though, the gospel transforms us from that kind of mindset. From getting up every day saying, what do I want to do? How do I want to live my life to what does God want me to do? What is his plan and will for me? Spiritual maturity is a growth in the perception of knowing and insight into God's will. Specifically as shown in the Bible. Believers characteristically look for what God's will is. What is his plan? What is good and right according to God's word? Now, this seems quite general. Okay, walk with the Lord, know what God wants for you. But the Apostle Paul is about to get more specific about what this perception kind of living looks like. Look at verse 16. And now let's look a little bit more specifically in verse 16. The word I want you to think of is opportunity. Verse 16 says, if you're going to live carefully, one of the ways it's going to look is making the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time, your, your Bible may say redeeming the time, or making the best of every opportunity. Verse 15 told us there are two ways to live, wisely, perceptively, or unwisely. So verse 16 begins to tell us how to live wisely, take advantage of opportunities, of opportunities. And it actually doesn't give us specifics about what those opportunities are, it just says Take advantage of whatever time the Lord has given you. Look in front of you and take advantage of those. Why? Because the days are evil. Now, I don't have to preach and convince you today that our days are evil. Okay, if you have uh, cable television or an iPhone, then you know that the days are evil. It's not hard to figure that out. This is not primarily talking about a physical evil, though there are physical evils around us, but moral evil. Spiritual evil that infects the times in which we live. And you know, we often think, well, the days are difficult today in 2023. This was 2,000 years ago and it was evil then. The days were evil then. And it's just as true today. The age or the time in which we live, they're characterized by a spiritual battle between good and evil. And like I said, if we were going to go to Ephesians chapter 6, we would learn about how to fight that battle more specifically with the armor of God. Ask your uh, children from BBS about the armor of God we learned about a month or two ago. And they uh, learned the hymn, Soldiers of Christ Arise. They can sing that for you at lunch today and get you caught up on that. But Ephesians 6 tells us about arming ourselves for this battle. The battle that rages between God and his work and then Satan and all his efforts to thwart that. Satan wants to oppose everything good and everything right. And if we're honest, when we battle with sin every day, we say there's a battle going on even in my own heart as a result of this. But the whole book of Ephesians, one of the themes I put up a minute ago is that God, not Satan, is the ruler overall. So this the outcome of this battle is not in jeopardy. Satan is like a wounded lion seeking to harm as many people as he can. 
before succumbing to his own demise. But because these days are evil in which we live, make the best use of our time. I can either use my time and opportunities for God's kingdom or towards Satan's efforts to oppose God's kingdom. Which will I choose? Satan is going to try to use every bit of time, every opportunity to work against, to thwart what God is doing. And I can fight against that by using every bit of time I've been given for God's work and God's kingdom. And this doesn't mean that, you, that we never take time to rest or that you uh, work an extraordinary number of hours to be more spiritual. This is not what this is talking about. God rested on the seventh day. That was before even sin. Rest is a good thing. But the word is opportunity. God has given each of us unique opportunities to make a difference for his kingdom in the evil days in which we live. For some here, you have an opportunity to get a college education. Maybe it just started a few uh, days ago. Take advantage of that opportunity or a graduate degree. For others, we have the opportunity in this season to care for a family member who is ill and to show great love to them. For parents, you have an opportunity to teach the next generation to love and worship God. Make, take advantage of that opportunity. But opportunities are not just for certain stages of life, although we seem to apply the Bible that way often. Think of opportunities here in the church. For every one of us this morning, the Lord brought us here to encourage someone sitting beside us with the spiritual blessings of Christ. God brought us here not just to listen to a sermon, but to minister to one another. And we've already read the rest of our text, so you know that one of the great ways we do that is by singing and ministering to one another. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But I'd like us to consider applying verse 16 to our all of our interactions in the body of Christ, making the best use of the time and opportunity to minister to one another. The days are evil. Sin and trials are discouraging and working against us. They're probably working against the person to your left and to your right today. And God has given you an opportunity to minister to them even this morning. In a few moments, we'll dismiss for a time of fellowship. Take advantage of that opportunity to lift someone else up. Make it, take advantage of that time. Even at 11.15 today, our shepherding classes will meet. What an opportunity. An opportunity for each of us, not just for the teacher to teach a lesson, but for each of us to make a difference in someone else's life by building a relationship with them, by praying with them, by lifting them up. You may not be in their age group, you may not be in their stage of life, but they need you and you need them. Don't waste an opportunity today or any day to invest in God's kingdom work in the evil days in which we live. You say, John, is that a shameless plug for me to stay at 1115 and join a shepherding class? Yes, yes it is. All right. But it's an opportunity. Take advantage of that time to do good for God's kingdom. We can work against the evil days that we live in by, taking, by making best use and redeeming the time. And this is really a wise, perceptive mindset, to use our context in verse 15. How do we live wisely in this world? It's looking at every opportunity before us, whatever that might be. Every one of us will have different opportunities tomorrow and on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. Well, God will put various times and opportunities in front of us 
to make a difference for his kingdom. Take every opportunity. This is how to live wisely. But the next verse 17 continues to explain what this perceptive, wise walking looks like. Look at verse 17 with me. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. The word is understanding. What is to be the believer's perspective in this life? You see, our walk is not just our actions. It's actually our thoughts and our mindset. Not to live foolishly, but to understand what the will of the Lord is. You say, what's foolish living? Well, read Proverbs and do a word search on the fool, and it will tell you all about what foolish living is about. But ultimately, it's someone who lives carelessly, disregarding God's wisdom, and lives by their own senseless understanding. Jesus uses the term fool to describe someone who looks good on the outside, but does not follow the Lord on the inside of their heart. This is the opposite of the perception we talked about a few moments ago, where we live carefully. The fool just doesn't live carefully. Whatever comes to their mind, they do. And understanding has the idea of coming together. Our hearts and God's truth come together. That's spiritual understanding. So it says we're supposed to understand God's will. So what is God's will? Well, that question has confounded many, many people. It's kept people up at night. What's God's will for my life? It's kept people from making decisions because they say, I don't know if this is God's will for my life. And it causes us great consternation at times. But Paul is actually not talking in the Bible most of the time when it's talking about God's will is not talking about knowing the Lord's future plans or the decisions I need to make five years from now. He's telling us to understand what the Lord desires. What does He want from me? It can be argued that the Lord here refers to Christ Himself. So understanding the will of the Lord would be synonymous with having the mind of Christ. And how do we learn about this will? Obviously, by listening to the words of Jesus, reading the words of God in all of Scripture, the Bible is God's will revealed. Okay, so if you want to know what does God want to do with my life, open the Bible and follow what it says. And on the course of following God's revealed will in the Bible, we will discover His sovereign will over our lives and decisions. But there's a way very closely related to that provided in the next verse of our text that answers this question of how we can know God's will and more broadly, how we can live in wisdom. How can I receive this spiritual perception of God's will? I don't want to be a fool. I don't want to, I want to be wise. I want to take every opportunity. I want to make best use of the time. How do I receive and know that I'm walking in God's will? The answer, be filled with The Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 18, and we'll see our next aspect of our walk, the Christian walk. Be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18, a very curt verse. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled 
with the Spirit. This is the second aspect of this Christian walk we'll discover today. Walking in or by the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit. And as I said, I believe those are parallel ways to talk about the same thing. Initially, it's important for us to define what being Spirit-filled means. And then we'll look at three evidences in our text that one is filled with the Spirit. How would you know if you're filled with the Spirit? People actually have a lot of ideas about that as well. I must be filled with the Spirit if, or I must not be filled with the Spirit if I don't this or that. Our text answers that for us uh, in one way in just a moment. Throughout this passage, we see positive and negative statements. Don't be unwise, be wise. Verse 17, don't be foolish, but understand. That's kind of how Paul is talking right now. And this simple pattern is here to help us learn. And in verse 18, it says, be filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine. Uses that as a clear contrast. Yes, to do two things. I think it gives us a warning about wine and alcoholic beverage. But also helps us understand what it actually means to be filled with and controlled by the Holy Spirit. So this this passage actually is not primarily contextually about alcohol. But it speaks so clearly on the issue. Paul actually takes the time to instruct us on this issue, even along the way of making a point about being filled with the Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine. Paul's been talking very generally up until this point, right? About ideas, perception, wisdom, carefulness, kind of general ideas. But he goes to the specific very fast. Do not be drunk with wine. Becoming drunk on wine or other alcoholic beverages is not living carefully, verse 15. It's not making the best use of the time and opportunity, verse 16. It's not living with wisdom in the will of God, verse 17. It's not walking, being filled with the Spirit. It's the very opposite of those things. To be intoxicated is to give up control, to act foolishly. And to make a point from this context, when people are given over to the power of alcohol, which the society at that time must have had a problem with it, and our society today has a great problem with it. When people are given over to the power of alcohol, they're not able to understand what the will of the Lord is. It's a contrast to what was just stated for believers Verse 18 says, this is debauchery or moral evil without self-control. Debauchery refers to those who waste their life on unrestrained pleasures. It's a life that leads to ruin. Do not be drunk with wine. It's a very clear admonition here. It's backed up in other other areas of scripture that that places drunkenness in a list of of sins that believers should abstain from. So let that be Clear to us. It's a warning. But it's also here to help us understand what it means positively to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This Spirit is the Holy Spirit, the the third person of the Trinity. Some people might think that just being filled with the Spirit is the human spirit. I don't believe that's the case here. I believe it is the Spirit of the Divine. But this filling of the Holy Spirit has been greatly misunderstood. Greatly misunderstood. 
Because people are called, I'm trying to seek the filling of the Spirit, so what does that mean? And they take this phrase out of Ephesians 5, but they don't look at what Ephesians 5 actually says characterizes being filled with the Spirit. Some people think that being filled with the Spirit is a special one-time experience, sometime after your salvation, where you are raised up to a higher level of communion with God. You were saved on this date, and on this date, you were filled with the Holy Spirit, or maybe baptized with the Holy Spirit. They would correlate those ideas. You achieve maybe a speaking in tongues or some other special gifting. And there's really no indication in this passage or elsewhere that the filling of the Spirit is this second stage of the Christian life and journey. In fact, grammatically, be filled is an ongoing thing. Continue to be filled. Continue to let the Holy Spirit fill you. So it's not a one-time occurrence. It's a daily pursuit. To be filled with the Spirit simply means this. To be completely controlled by the Spirit. To obey Him every day. And this is not getting a Holy Spirit that you don't have already, if you're a believer. The Holy Spirit indwells or lives in every believer from the moment of salvation. Romans 8, 9, and 10 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So whether you are four years old or 94 years old, if you have placed your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you. So being filled with the Spirit is not getting something, a substance or a person that you don't already possess. But someone has said, probably much too simply, but it may help us understand, that being filled with the Spirit is not me getting more of the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit getting more of me. Okay? Again, maybe a little too simple, but maybe helps us understand. It means we yield to the Spirit. We follow Him. We give Him complete control and relinquish our ability to say, no, I'm going to go my, go my way. I'm going to follow the Holy Spirit. He guides us. He teaches us God's will through His Word. And moment by moment, we follow Him. This is not something that happens one time. It's continual. And according to the Scripture here, it's our responsibility. Interestingly. To be filled. It's not something we do for ourselves. We're, we're, the, we're the passive ones here receiving this filling. But it's our responsibility to allow God, His Holy Spirit, to fill us. So it's yielding moment by moment to the Spirit who already indwells us, welcoming His Spirit's power to move us toward righteousness. It's listening to God's Word and obeying it right away. And habitually doing that over and over. Not perfectly this side of heaven, but as we grow in spiritual maturity, we can grow in our ability to be filled with the Spirit. It's parallel to the idea of walking in the Spirit in Galatians, or letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in Colossians. All of those are similar ideas across these letters. They all refer to the daily submission to the Lord. This is the Christian walk. And this is really the key to our entire passage because we can't have spiritual wisdom without the Holy Spirit filling and controlling us. Does this mean that if I'm going to be filled with the Spirit, I'm listening to an audible voice of the Spirit every day? That's often what people ask. Well, if I'm 
filled with the Spirit, following the Spirit, how would I know if it's Him speaking to me? But this passage is not talking about an audible voice. Now, there's no doubt that there's a personal leading of the Spirit as we, as He impresses truth upon us, as He brings things to mind, reminds us of Scripture, and leads us in His way. There's no doubt that happens. But we don't need to wait on an audible voice before we follow the Holy Spirit and God's Word. It's been properly said, if you want to hear from God, open the Bible. Okay? That doesn't mean that we limit what God can or would do to reveal Himself to someone. But normally, normatively, what does God do to reveal Himself? He uses the means of grace, the church, the fellowship there, the scriptures, and prayer to reveal Himself and to give us His grace. Now these last few minutes before we close, let's look at three evidences that you're filled with the Spirit. How would you know? It's actually observable. That doesn't mean that someone can't have some of these characteristics and not be genuine, but as people are filled with the Spirit, it changes how we look in the body of Christ. Very quickly, I'm going to give us these three. 19, 20, and 21. What's it look like in our music? What's it look like in our gratitude? And what's it look like in our submission? Verse 19. Look at it with me. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So again, it's easy to preach this this morning because you already did this. You sang great praises to the Lord. And I find it interesting that worship, yes, is to the audience of the Lord. It's to Him. But it's communicating to other believers. Which is why every believer should sing. This doesn't just say those who are musically talented should do this. But there's a responsibility every person has to sing. And the louder we all sing, maybe we'll cover up those who can't sing as well. So sing louder, please. All right? No, really, we all have a role to sing corporately to one another, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Actually, kind of means speaking to one another, communicating this truth, but through what avenue? The avenue of music. Some people, some people have tried to characterize psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs and to place every piece of music under one of those three headings. It's a little difficult to do that perfectly, other than to say, obviously it was evident for Paul to sing the psalms themselves, and there's other hymns and songs filled by the Spirit. But this is one of the ways that we know we're filled with the Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit, you'll address one another in song, singing in with our hearts to the Lord. Notice that worship in a corporate setting is for the Lord addressing other believers. When our hearts are filled with the Spirit, we will sing, giving God glory and building up others in the church. The second evidence here is gratitude. Verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This, this one does not need too much preaching or explanation. It's pretty clear. But notice how all-encompassing it is. Giving thanks always. For what? For everything. 
To whom? To God the Father. In whose name? The Lord Jesus Christ. You see, gratitude is a Trinitarian work. It's an evidence of being filled with the Spirit, giving thanks to God in the name of Jesus Christ. We can all admit that complaining often controls more of our words than thanksgiving does. And worry and fear hold places in our heart that should be crowded out by gratitude. Would you ask the Lord to fill you with His Spirit in such a way that you would praise and thank Him always and in everything? It doesn't say it would be easy, but it's Spirit-empowered. The last outcome of the Spirit-filled walk is in verse 21. And this kind of sets up a little bit more of the rest of Ephesians 5, so we won't spend too much time here, but it says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission to one another in the church is not a popular concept to discuss, especially in an age and climate of self-autonomy and independence and freedom that we all seem to pride ourselves in, whether as individuals or as families. This is the way I do things. This is, this is our way of doing things. But individualism and the selfishness that accompanies it should be given over to the Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit, believers distinctly submit not just to Christ, but to His body, the church. And this doesn't mean that every person equally and in the same way submits to every desire of every person in the church But the idea seems to carry the application that we all live for the betterment and the good of the other, whether or not that person's in authority. And we all together submit ourselves to God and His church out of reverence for Christ, for the church is His body. In a snapshot, this is part of the Christian walk, being filled with the Spirit Wise living according to His Word. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's active. And He's indwelling believers already. So if you're saying, where is the Spirit? He's not far away. Would you let Him control your life? Simply saying, Lord, would you lead me moment by moment? When you're stumped by a decision, stop and pray, Lord, what would you have me to do? Is this the right or wrong decision? Open the scriptures and see God lead you. Be filled with the Spirit. And when we do that, we will sing. We will give thanks to the Lord. We'll submit to one another. It conquers our pride. Because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, glorifying God in the name of Jesus Christ for His glory. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank You for Your Scripture that teaches us to live by the Spirit. To be filled with, as a boat's sail is filled with the wind and carried along, would our hearts and lives be filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered, motivated, and controlled by the gentle, yet firm pressure of the Holy Spirit using His Word to grow and change us? Would we be a church that's filled with the Holy Spirit because we're more concerned with the Holy Spirit's will than our own desires? We're more concerned with giving Him praise and gratitude than leading our own way.
Would you draw people to Christ today? In a few moments as we partake of the Lord's table, would you allow this to be a picture for those who don't know Christ of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? For all these things, we thank you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.